the animation podcast, June 20th, 2005. Go infinity! Go infinity! Go infinity! Go infinity! Go infinity! What's this? Go! Meet me! That's it! Dumbo! Let's go! Walk on the eyes of Eastman! Hey! Right on the button! <laughs> Don't let me fill it! <laughs> <laughs> Wrong that way. I'd like to work with you if you don't mind. You will join me for dinner. Oh, goody. Now it's like this, little britches. And beyond. Hey, everybody. This is Clay. Welcome to show number four of the Animation Podcast. Wow. It's been a while since the last show. Work has been pretty wild for the last few weeks, but it seems to have cooled down for now, at least enough for me to put together a couple shows. I'll cover some details of the podcast after the interview, but for now, let me introduce my guest. If you work in animation for any amount of time, you're bound to run into people with a twisted sense of humor, great work ethic, and a slightly funny accent. They're called Canadians, but um bumpsh. Today's guest is one of those, although his accent isn't so strong. After years of animating, he gained serious notoriety as the supervising animator of Lumiere in Beauty and the Beast. Later, he was awarded one of animation's highest honors when he received an Annie Award from Asifa for his work as the supervisor of Miko in Pocahontas, and then once more for his work on Hades in Hercules. His last hand-drawn character was Cusco in The Emperor's New Groove, and now he's made the switch to computers as a supervising animator on the upcoming Chicken Little. It's my privilege to present my interview with Nick Ranieri. The opinions expressed in this interview are not necessarily those of the Disney Corporation or its affiliates. <laughs> You know, among animators, there's generally two different groups. There's the, the Warners group and the Disney group, you know, like the fans. And uh, you seem to definitely fall within the Warners side. Is that uh, true? Or Oh, yeah, that's, that's true. I mean, I, I, um, this is my personal opinion. But growing up, I never was very fond of the Disney shorts. That type of humor never really appealed to me. Uh, I remember having a conversation with Andreas when I, you know, we first met on Roger Rabbit, and he's talking about how, you know, the Disney shorts and how beautiful he used to watch them and study them. And I just, I actually couldn't stand them. And every time I watched them, then on a lot of them, they they dealt in frustration gags, which to me wasn't really that funny. It was just more of an annoyance, it's like. Okay, Pluto, he's got a crab stuck to his tail, and he spends, you know, the next two minutes trying to get the crab off his tail. And it's like, will you get the crab off their tail and move on with the picture? I'm bored. (laughs) (laughs) Donald, he's got a plunger on his butt, and he's trying to get the plunger off. And on and on. It's like, come on, get on with it. Boring. (laughs) (laughs) So you just sit there, and you're like, okay, seen this, been there, done that, you know. And that's a lot of what some of the early Disney shorts were like to me, and that's why it never really appealed to me. Whereas the Warner stuff, especially the Jones stuff, is very, you know, the writing was sharp, the attitudes, the sort of the repartee between characters and things like that. I mean, I basically grew up as a TV kid, and so that's a lot of the sitcom dialogue, uh, uh, you know, Neil Simon type banter and things like that. I always found that more appealing. Uh, other kids liked Laurel and Hardy. I liked uh, Abbott and Costello because of the the way they used words and who's on first and all that stuff and and all that sort of integral um, you know back and forth type of material. I really liked that stuff. And so, you know, when I first saw some of my first Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck shorts, 
Yeah, aha, pronoun trouble. I mean, that stuff just like, that's great. That's great. No plungers on the butts. No, you know, none of that stuff. It was just yeah. really clever stuff, you know. Less about, say, the quality of the animation. I mean, that's a big part of it, too. But Well, uh, you know, quality of animation. Entertainment-wise. Entertainment-wise. That stuff appealed to me more from an entertainment point of view, which is why I pretty much got into the business, because I couldn't really act on stage, hit my mark, remember lines, all that did you ever stuff. Try that? Uh, a little. It was very hard. I, I I think I did some of that in school, but it was really hard to do that, and and I could never focus on. I'd always come off and think, oh, I should have done that better. That wasn't very good. I'd do little um, things with my uh, brother. He'd film skits and stuff like that because he was really into the theater aspect of it all. And, and I would just, you know, I'd help him out because he really didn't have anybody who was into it as much as he was. And so it was myself and him doing these skits. And, and it was really hard. I, you know, hard to remember my lines, hard to remember the timing that I wanted and all that. Whereas animation sort of gave me that control that I really wanted. I go back and fix it and make it just the way I wanted it. But yeah, the uh, the Warner stuff always had a, a bigger appeal to me. It was always much more enjoyable to watch. And I think uh, when I came around to Disney was, um, which is why uh, Pinocchio is one of my favorite features because it has a little bit of that material, that the type of humor I like, with the fox, you know, P I N P P. <laughs> we're wasting precious time, you know, that type of thing. And you know, Honest John gave me this card, and it's like, yeah, sure, sure, whatever, with, with Lampwick and all that type of humor. To me, I was always what made that film sort of special. I thought that was uh, pretty. Warner Brotherish. <laughs> it wasn't sort of the nice, sweet, sort of, you know, um, dopey's ears, flicker, uh, you know, uh, he's got diamonds on his eyes, and, you know, that type of too funny for words type of humor, you know. Yeah. This is a little bit more sharp, a um, little more uh, connected to, like, radio of the day. Uh, it wasn't so much uh, animation gags for animation's sake. At some point, did you realize you wanted to become an animator? Or did, did that happen earlier or later? I, I think or once the acting didn't work out. Yeah, well, the acting was just sort of in the back of my mind. I knew I, knew I liked to do that stuff because I always I watched it and, and I thought it was appealing. And you know, you want to make people laugh. And but I also like to draw and I like to do caricatures. And I just didn't really think about animation until I um, actually I went and toured Sheridan College just to see what it was like, the animation program. And when I went in, they had some of these cells pinned up. And I'd never seen a cell. I didn't even know what it was. And this was like, what, 77 when I first saw this stuff. And I looked and I go, oh, I see. It's it's inked on the front and, and painted on the back. And look, isn't that neat? That's great. Because until then, I'd never seen a cell, you know. Yeah. And then I, I started looking at it, and I saw some of the pencil tests and the drawings. And I thought, oh, that looks really cool. It's the whole movement of it. So this was during high school? Yeah, just a little after high school. And I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And when I looked at that stuff, I thought, yeah, I'd like to see how this goes. Maybe I, I, I could do this, you know. And so I tried to get in, and, and you know. But yeah, it's uh, it was it was an eye opener, and then when I realized the control I could have, and the you know the uh, the thought of the Warner Brothers cartoons came back, and mm -hmm. and just the excitement of being able to um, draw a character and have him talk and walk, you know, you're not limited to like live action characters or directing mm -hmm. actors. You you can you know direct your own and get it just the way you want it. Yeah. That was really pretty much why I, I wanted to, to get into this because I, I could act through these characters. I could perform 
and I can I enjoy drawing, and that you know, best of both worlds. So you're from Canada, and there's a lot of animation in Canada, or a lot of Canadian animators that I know of. <laughs> so what's the deal with the animation in Canada? <laughs> well, despite what you said, there is none. <laughs> no, no, I shouldn't say that. Um, you know, at the time I was in Canada, we were in school at Sheridan College and all that. A lot of us, we realized, you know, that only really good quality feature animation was being done in the States. At the time, the only feature animation that, that was done in Canada was uh, something called Rock and Rule by uh, Nelvana. Uh-huh. They were trying to you know, be the next uh, Canadian you know, Disney North or whatever. That whole thing, it, it flopped, and uh, Nelvana went down fast, and uh, and there was really nothing going on. When I was in school, there was nothing. Uh, the the uh, industry, is, in Canada especially, was dead. In fact, I was I was supposed to be in the animation program like two years earlier. If it wasn't for divine intervention, I probably would have been out in like 82, uh, and there was, you know, had no, no work at all. And people were like scrounging to find any animation at that time. By the time I got out of college a couple of years later in 84, uh, Atkinson's uh, was opening up, uh, a couple other places in Montreal, and all that was starting to open up. So there was jobs for people. And Mm -hmm. uh, so I got in on television work in the early 80s, working on Raccoons, Canadian production. In Canada, was Sheridan basically the, the one place to go? There's that, and then there was Emily Carr in, in uh, British Columbia. But for the most part, that was a program in its infancy. And everybody, a lot of people, a lot of graduates from Sheridan, the course started in the 70s, and uh, a lot of those graduates went on and were working for Nelvana or working for Disney or different places like that. Um, and uh, so Sheridan College got a lot of exposure, and, mm-hmm. and it was very close to Toronto. And so anybody who really wanted to get into animation really had to go to Sheridan yeah. um, just to get their, their feet wet, especially at that time because, well, the late 70s, uh, maybe in London for commercials, mm-hmm. but for everything else, it was a pretty dry industry at that point. Even you know, Black Cauldron days, Fox the Hound, it was really dry for Disney as yeah. well, and it was it was tough. One of the teachers, a photography teacher at Sheridan, started going, "What do you guys think you're doing? You think you're going to do Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs? That stuff's dead. You know, you should you know get a real job." And he was yelling at us and wow. and chewing us out because uh, or, or making fun of us because we were in the animation program and animation was basically dead. And uh-huh. you know, and I just think about you know the the the, the fat years in the late '80s and '90s and his, his graduates eight were, years were, later. Yeah, yeah, his graduates were probably you know taking pictures of kids on donkeys. <laughs> 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 So uh, he was totally wrong, but, you know, we just wanted to animate. Yeah. Most of us, we didn't have any delusions of grandeur. You know, we're going to end up at Disney and all that. Right, but a lot of your classmates ended up totally into this, you know, the second golden age of animation. So who are some of the people you went to school with? Uh, well, people okay. might have heard of. Well, in my year, a couple of years earlier in my year, I mean, there were um, people like, um, well, some of them didn't even end up in uh, in traditional animation. Uh-huh. Uh, Steve Williams, early on, went into computers. Harlan Williams, no relation. I know Harlan. Ended up, 
<laughs> as uh, in performing, yeah, you know, stand-up comic, and yeah. now he's doing animation voices. Um, Reg Bordage uh, as in story now for DreamWorks and places like that. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Howie Parkins ended up as a supervisor on The Simpsons. Uh, uh, Rick Sluter uh, ended up as uh, art director. Right. In, uh, in Florida, Caladuke ended up at Disney here as a uh, lead key cleanup. And uh, think if there's anybody else I've left. Oh, Bob Walker uh, ended up head of layout director uh-huh. here at Disney. And a lot of graduates from my year ended up in the business. I, I, I think it was a little bit of talent and a little bit of timing. Right. And uh, everybody, everybody pretty much got jobs. Right. Basically, everyone proved the photography teacher wrong. Yeah, and and even proved the uh, the some of the teachers who were teaching animation wrong. Oh, <laughs> our teacher Jim McCauley once said, "You know, this is the worst year I've ever had at Sheridan." <laughs> but then you know. You, he walks, he <laughs> walking in, walking in, and there's Reg and Shane and Howie, and they're all sitting around with this pile of money in the table with cards, and they're gambling. And <laughs> there's a bunch of them there. There's a whole pile of money in the center of a table, and he's just like turned red. He's like, I got the president of the school coming by you out of your mind. He starts screaming. And they weren't very well liked that year, but, uh-huh. but still, I think, it, like I said, a little bit of timing. <laughs> and they we managed to all get work. Right. Um, and how did you uh, kind of manage to work at Disney? Was that kind of quick, or did you have a lot of jobs before you? A lot of jobs. A lot of jobs started. Um, couldn't get into Nelvana. And I'm really grateful because that turned out to be a sweatshop. I mean, Care Bears and all that stuff. Uh-huh. So uh, as bad as, as the productions were up at Atkinson's, I mean, you know, for TV, there was a, there was an, I'll, I'll give it this much. There was an attempt at Atkinson's to do a quality product. They didn't ship it out to Korea. They, they kept it in, in house. Mm-hmm. There was a, a small group of animators and we had a TV show to put out. And it certainly wasn't as fast as the TV shows that came out of the Orient, you know, 65 half hours in six months. Yeah. It wasn't like that. It was a show every month. They were trying to put out a show every month. Um, when, we, when I say it wasn't a quality product, as a show, it wasn't very well written. The characters were kind of one-dimensional. But we got our chops on it. Yeah, I was going to say, was there a lot to learn about animation doing that? Well, yeah. There's a lot of people who work very fast, and you, you got the experience of, of how to do TV animation. They had stock characters. Uh, I worked, Oh, Jamie Olaf, uh, Dave Nethery, some of these guys that ended up at Disney later were there. Mm-hmm. You know, Rick Sluter, we, we sort of all migrated. Our year sort of all migrated mm-hmm. up there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, even Bob Walker. Where was that located? That was in um, Ottawa, uh-huh. Canada, nation's capital. So we we all started up there. I mean, I worked there for about uh, almost about two years, working on various little things, uh, mostly the raccoon show. But every mm-hmm. now and then there was a special. I've and never seen the raccoon show. <laughs> uh, well, you know, you didn't miss much. Uh, but it's, <laughs> it, I mean, the designs themselves. I mean, a raccoon with a bent nose looked like a you know a, a pipe or right. And know, a little did you know that. Fifteen years later, you'd be doing Miko. Well, that's funny. This time, I got to design my own. And you know what? I didn't really go back to that show for reference. Mm. <laughs> no, but but uh, you know, you learn to to uh, do things fast. And 
Uh, but unfortunately, it was a bad it was bad timing for me because I was just learning, and all I could think about is quality. I want to do quality. I wanted to, you know, all the you know Disney, Warner Brothers, all that stuff was in your head, and mm-hmm. you're trying to put as much of that quality into your work as possible. And there, I remember one time I knew it was over when I showed a scene to um, to the director, and he goes, "Wow, that's a good scene," but you know, there's just too many drawings. <laughs> And uh, he let it go through, but I just thought this isn't a place that I'm going to be able to grow in. Yeah. This is this is just get the work done, do it as fast as possible, and you know that type of thing. So um, we just did it. I learned a lot from some of the other animators about how to cut corners and things like that. Mm-hmm. I could recognize uh, good animation. A lot of us could. That's another question I wanted to, to bring up. Is you know what, what do you? How would you describe good animation? And there's so many different varieties. But. I just, uh, to me, good animation is believable. I mean, it has a certain weight to it, a certain fluidity, and the secondary action is considered just as important as the primary animation. I see a lot of times when the primary animation is really done well, and they think, oh, secondary animation, you know, we just, you know, have the thing go forward and come back. Yeah, and I just, think that when you put all that effort into it, getting a good acting performance, uh, to sell it with good secondary action, it just brings it up to the level of Disney, mm-hmm. where Disney should be. Um, and uh, to me, just that's just very important when you when you can, you know, you feel like you're watching a, a, a real life character, and all of a sudden it ceases to be a drawing or. In, nowadays a uh, cyber puppet and it becomes like there's somebody moving that character it's somebody it's uh, in 3d it's like a guy in a costume almost with really good you know electronical uh, uh, you know mouth shapes and yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to say it but it's just you actually believe it and that's one of the things that I liked you know that I really liked about the the Warner Brothers stuff, just even the coyote stuff where he sits there and he draws something in the sand. You can see him thinking or, or like, um, like first feeling used to do in his films where Sylvester was carrying some stuff and he, something would drop and you have to come back and pick it up, you know, things that, you know, you wouldn't necessarily do in animation because it would be right the first time, but to put in those things, those, and I, I try to do stuff, stuff like that. I tried to think like if I were actually doing this action, what would I do? Uh, there's a scene of rescuers that I, I, uh, that where he grabs, um, the, this blind that has, uh, albatross airlines, a fair fare from here to there. And he pulls it down and I thought, well, I'll have him grab it and he'll miss it. And he'll grab it again and pull it down. So it's not just like you go reach, grab, pull. It's not as mechanical as that. It's, it's human error. So he hits it and he grabs it, he misses it and he grabs it again and pulls it down. You know, things like that to me, adding those little nuances, those little touches, what brings the character to life, bring animation to life. And, uh, just, you know, little hand gestures like that, little things, uh, you know, I, I start, I would start acting stuff out and I say, would I actually do something like that? Or would I do this? And even, yeah, that, that'll, that action's a little more difficult to animate, but man, let's do it because it's worth it, you know? Um, and only if I, it didn't go up to what I expected out of it, uh, would I, um, 
I'd can it all together. If, if it, if I tried something that didn't really work and, and I go away for a day and come back the next morning and look at it and go, no, that doesn't sell. I don't believe that it doesn't work. And I'd, right. I'd scrap it. But if it, sometimes I'd have happy accidents and I go, yeah, that feels right. That feels like the character's actually thinking. And so to me, that's uh, one of the things and, and just basic fluidity. One of the things I really admire about James's stuff is that it all, there's no clicks, there's no pops, there's no deformities. I don't know what yeah, you call yeah. it. It's, it's, it's fluid without being underwater. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's fluid, but it's believable. You know, unlike some people that throw everything on ones and they just move it for movement's sake, and it and it does. It just looks like watery mess. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, that's that's yeah. That's the that's it. That concludes part one of the interview with Nick Ranieri. One small detail I want to add for this show, when Nick is talking about good animation, the James he refers to is James Baxter. Also, when Nick talks about primary and secondary animation, the primary animation is the main action of what the character is doing, and the secondary animation in this case is the overlap of things like hair and clothing. I want to thank everyone who has commented on the site or sent me email about the show. Here's how you can give feedback, comments, or suggestions. If you go to the website at www.animationpodcast.com, you can comment on individual podcasts. You can also email me at animationpodcast at gmail.com. And the third way to participate is to call the feedback hotline and leave a voice message. The number is area code 206-666-2668. It's not a local call unless you live in Seattle, so use your cell phone to call. Again, the number is 206-666-AMM8 spells animate also if you'd like you can record your own comments and questions and email them to me directly you can always find all this information on my website at www.animationpodcast.com in past shows i've asked you to vote for the podcast at podcast alley it was amazing last month to get to number 14 in the rankings but i didn't really start this project so i could beg for votes every show i totally appreciate your support and would never discourage you from voting but i've decided to stop bugging you guys about it Podcast Alley has been good publicity, but I figure the people who are interested in listening will probably find the show one way or another. Anyways, I'll always keep the link on the site for you to use in case you want to vote. I got a few voice messages since the last shows, and as always, I'm glad to include them in the show. Hi Clay, this is Nicola. I've written to you a couple of times about how great your site and show is. I find your last three interviews with Andreas Deja very informational. You're very lucky to get in touch with such contemporary geniuses. I've learned a lot from them because I plan to study hand-drawn animation this fall and I'm still a high school sophomore. I'll take your advice on not being afraid to learn from trial and error, whether it be drawing well or just animating. Thanks for your time and I hope you mention me on your website and on your show. Bye. Thanks for the message, Nicholas. I'm glad there are still people out there who start learning with traditional animation. I think if you take this approach, you won't be restricted by the limitations of a CG character. You're only limited by what you can draw, and in the end, you will have greater expectations of what can be accomplished in animation. Here's another call. Hey Clay, my name is Rob, and I just wanted to thank you for these awesome shows you put together so far. It's great for the animation geek just like me. Uh, I just want to let you know that I've also burned them all to CDs so I can take them around in a car with me wherever I go. That's just how much of a geek I am for this stuff. But I'm also hoping that one day maybe you can get a show with uh, Chris Sanders or anyone from the Orlando feature animation crew. I think they would have a lot of fascinating stories to tell. I, I'm a student here in Orlando, and I actually used to hang out on the animation tour just watching people work. That was fascinating enough for me for a few hours sometimes. So uh, anyway, thank you so much, and I appreciate all the work you've done so far. Great job. Bye. 
Thanks for the message, Rob. Chris Sanders is an awesome suggestion, and I'll definitely ask him to be on the podcast. Next call. Hey, this is uh, Alan from Glendale. I just wanted to share a little story uh, that I have with the animation podcast. Uh, thanks to your podcast, I've been introduced to Andreas Deza, who uh, I admire his work now even more than ever. Then when I was watching, you know, Aladdin and Lion King and watching the villains, I was wondering, you know, I wonder who this is, the guy who animates this. He seems great, and I listen to, these, to your podcast, and I really get a, a good sense of who he is. So I'm here in Glendale. I just moved down here to look for work. I just got out of school for uh, computer animation, and I hear about Dream On Silly Dreamer playing. And I'm like, well, I, I should go to that. Maybe there'll be some animators there from Disney. So I go over to the uh, to the screening, and the place is packed, completely packed. So I'm looking around for uh, Andreas. I, I saw his picture on your site, and I'm thinking to myself, there's no way I'm going to see him. There's, there's, there's hundreds of people in here. So I go and sit down with my friend, and we're waiting for the uh, film to start, and the theater's getting packed. And uh, it's basically, it's all full, except for one seat uh, next to my friend. And uh, the movie's about to start, and this guy comes and sits next to my friend, who's sitting next to me. And I look over, and it's Andreas Deja, and I'm like, I, I can't believe this. And I, and I tap him on the shoulder, I'm like, excuse me, are you Andreas Deja? And he, says, he said, yes. And I said, oh my god, you know, I, I really look, uh, look up to your work, and we had a great conversation. And basically, it was because uh, of your podcast, I got to know about him, and then had this great conversation with him in, uh, in the theater. Uh, another thing that uh, I wanted to point out is um, I really enjoyed what, when he said in your podcast that uh, Ollie Johnson was talking about how you animate feelings instead of uh, drawings. And um, I'm a computer animator. Of course, I've done a little bit of 2D as well, but uh, I'm mainly a computer animator. And I wanted to, uh, I was wondering if you were going to interview any computer animators because um, what, the feeling I got from the Dream on Silly Dreamer uh, screening was that. A lot of the traditional uh, 2D animators or 2D personnel, they, they viewed computer animation as something different and fundamentally different. When I, when I believe it's fundamentally the same, it's two different mediums, but they, they're exactly the same as far as uh, animating feelings, you know, telling stories and things like that. And I was wondering if you'd ever have any uh, computer animators on the show. Uh, you're doing a great job. I really enjoy the shows. I tell all my animator friends about it and keep up the good work. Thanks. Hey, Alan, that's an awesome call. I've been getting so much great feedback on the podcast, but your story is one of my favorites. I do recommend to anyone to try to go to any animation events in your area if you can. Something that I was reminded of at the Dream On Silly Dreamer event was that even though we may be separated by geography or where we work at the time, when animation people get together, it's like a family reunion where even if everyone doesn't know each other, there's always a feeling that they're connected by their love for this art form. Hey, Clay, this is uh, Ward of the Wardomatic. Uh, call and tell you what a great job you're doing on the animation podcast, and uh, I can't wait to hear more. I just want to say what you're doing is monumental, I think, in this field of animation. It's, uh, it's very important, I guess, to hear from animation greats about how, uh, you know, how they got into this crazy line of work that we do and uh, to hear what, uh, what actually really inspires them. And uh, I thoroughly enjoyed your uh, interview with uh, Andrea Deja, and uh, looking forward to future podcasts. Um, make more now. No pressure, of course. Anyway, seriously, though, uh, I love what you're doing, and keep it up. Thanks, man. Bye. Hey, now I know what you sound like, Ward. Thanks for the call. If anyone hasn't checked out Ward's site, the Wardomatic, there's a link to it on my site. Hi, how's it going? My name is Josh, and I downloaded the animation podcast with uh, the interview with Mr. Deja. It was really good. I enjoyed it. I could listen to another four or five hours of that. But um, I had a couple comments, um, since you seem to be soliciting them. For one, 
Um, I'm not in the animation industry. I just I love cartoons, but I've only recently kind of become interested in the actual, I guess, the technical side of it. So there were a couple things that I think、um, could have been made easier. I don't know if your target audience is just people who are you know already working in the industry, but、um, to start off, I think it would be a good idea whenever you have a new、um, a guest. To explain who he is, have him explain a little bit about himself. Say hi, please. You know, introduce yourself. He could say what he's worked on and that kind of thing. That just as an audio thing. I mean, I was able to look him up online, but it would make it sound a little bit better. Also,、um, that conversation that y'all had about starting on the one and the two. I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> um, I guess again, if it's if it's aimed at professionals, I'm sure they would know what you're talking about. But anything that's like industry specific lingo or something would be helpful for non-professionals if you just explain that.、Um, that's pretty much it. Other than that, the、uh, the very end of the third section, it sounded like he had a vacuum cleaner going in the background or something. But、um, I'm sure that wasn't used though. I don't think you can change.、Um, other than that, it was really informative and entertaining, and I hope you put up a lot more because I could listen to that for days. Thanks a lot. Bye bye. Thanks for the message, Josh. I thought I did an all right job of introducing Andreas in the first show, and I assumed that people would listen to them in order. But you do have a point for the people who just drop by and start listening to the most recent show. I'll see what I can do about that. For your second question, you can find my explanation of ones and twos at the end of show three, as well as on the website in the section called the Animation Notebook. If anyone ever has questions about terms used on the show, use one of the feedback channels I mentioned before to ask me about it, and I'll be glad to answer. And yes, Josh, there was some noise at the end of show three, and a couple of people I know, Joe and Barry, correctly identified it as a leaf blower. Thanks for the call, Josh. About the music on the show, the theme song was created by DJ Sweet Tooth. Joe also created the background beat that's playing now. Rock on, Joe. I have to make a correction for show three. I played music from Rex Lee, but I said he's from the Philippines. Rex is actually from Singapore. Sorry about that, Rex. If you're a musical animator and you want thousands of people to hear the music that you've created and have the rights to, send it to me and I'll get it on the show. Today I'll close out the show with music sent in by Corey Barba. This song is called "Ice Cream Truck" and Corey says it's for some animation he's working on. I can't wait to see it when it's done. Thanks, Corey. So until next time, thanks for tuning in.